Good morning. Welcome to the Anderson Seventh-day Adventist Church. Nice to have each one of you here today. God has a message for us. Do you believe that? And it's based on Matthew chapter 5. So take a Bible and look at the first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew. And as soon as I say chapter 5, you should think of Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest sermon that's ever been preached or taught by anybody. Uh, it's interesting to see how some of the atheistic secular philosophers talk about Jesus. I've just been reading a little bit about that lately and how they, many of them seem to have a, a real respect for him. Now, they pick and choose but it's parts of the Sermon on the Mount that they like. They don't like the parts of uh, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. They don't like those parts of the Bible. They like the parts where you turn the other cheek. Of course, if you ask them to do that, they would never do it, but, but that's the part they like to philosophize about. Today I've chosen the section which was read as our scripture, verses 14, 15, and 16. Let's have a word of prayer as we open God's word. Father, as we open your word, we, this is familiar material for many of us, but may it not become um, overly familiar with us. May we see the significance of what Jesus is saying. May we live these things and not just talk about them, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This little light of mine, what am I going to do? I'm going to let it shine. I was thinking of this idea of light, and this emphasis on, on light and shining for the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the, immediately in my mind, some of the songs that maybe the children would sing, Jesus wants me for a sunbeam. Any, any old-timers remember that one? Do the children still sing it? Hmm, maybe not. Jesus wants me for a sunbeam to shine for him each day. And then another one I wrote down is, Jesus bids us shine with a pure, clear light. I have, I have a recording of children singing that in such a, such a wonderful way. Jesus bids us shine with a pure, clear light like a little candle burning in the night. In this world of darkness, so we must shine. You in your small corner, and what? I in mine. Turn to Matthew 5. We're picking it up at verse 14. But notice, the passage doesn't start with verse 14. It starts with what we call the Beatitudes, what we are supposed to be. Can you see that? Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This, these beatitudes are what you and I as Christians are supposed to be. And if you feel that you're not pure in heart and you're not hungering and thirsting after God, then you have every right, you are expected by God 
to go to Him and say, Lord, make it a reality in my life. There are Christians who do not believe that these verses apply to Christians at all. Some apply them just to Jews. Some think they're just an ideal. Well, they are an ideal for sure. But this is how you and I are to live. And this is our goal, this is our growth, to be the, like the Lord Jesus Christ, because He fulfills every one of these, right? And then Jesus goes on to talk about persecution, and then verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. And if the salt loses its saltness, how can it be made salty again? There's no good for anything except to be thrown out and to tramp, be trampled by men. I've decided not to preach on that, just to keep things as simple as I can this morning, but salt in the first century was used to help preserve the food. So think of salt, you can think of it in different ways, adding taste and so on, but think of salt as a preservative. Christians are placed in this earth to work through the darkness that we're going to read about, work through the putrefication, and try and keep something wholesome. That's pretty hard to do nowadays. You turn the TV on, it's really, really hard to find wholesome programming, right? Sometimes I flick through, I don't know how many channels we have, but I might flick through 30 channels just to find something on nature. So you're not going to really find it in this world of darkness. But salt is there to preserve. But then he goes on to talk about this metaphor of light, and that's what I'm dealing with this morning. You are what? Light. You, Bruce, you are light. Do you know that? Not you can be light. Not you should be light. But you are light. Now, of course, this is applicable to those who are in a committed relationship with Jesus Christ. You might think your light is pretty feeble at times. But compared to the darkness, it's really bright. You, the emphasis is on the you in the Greek, you are light. The light of the world. So the world must be pretty dark if it needs this light. I remember as a child, I lived in a very, very small, dilapidated house. I was about 100 years old, needed to be huff-puffed and blown away. And, uh, but it had a cellar. And I remember the, they would come in with sacks of coal on their back, on the lorry, and they would grab this huge sack of coal on the back and throw it through this hole, and it would fall into our cellar. If there was any creepy place in our house, it was the cellar. Because it was really, really dark in the cellar. 
And as a brother towards his sister, you could do a lot of creepy, scary things in places like cellar. But as soon as somebody would bring just a little bit of light into that cellar, a candle or a match or something like that, then of course that place didn't look quite so creepy anymore. Our text says in verse 14, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. My first uh, point in this sermon is Christians are light in the world based on verse 14, what I've just read. The Bible teaches that this world is darkness. And what it means by that is its darkness is spiritual darkness. There's nobody in this world who knows how to find the light just because they are smart. Perhaps they're a philosopher. Perhaps they have a PhD in philosophy or theology or something like that. Nobody sees the light, it's like every human being is born in spiritual darkness. Now that might be hard for some people to believe in such an educated, enlightened society that we live. Let me, um, let me share with you some text here. Let's take uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. Paul says there, for you were once darkness. That's talking to Christians, people like you and me. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, and then he talks about the fruit of the light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Now, he didn't have to use the word darkness there. He could have equally said wickedness. Fruitful, fruitless deeds of darkness rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. So there's at least one text, and I have a number of them written down here, that talks of uh, the world being dark, and these former Christians were once part of the darkness, but now they are part of the light. Do you remember, those of you that were here last week, we went through the prologue of the Gospel of John. Go back to John chapter 1. We can make last week's sermon fit in a little bit with this week's sermon. And I'm going to read verses uh, 4 and 5 and verse 9. It's talking about Jesus, and it says, in him was what? Life. And that life was the light, there's the word light, the light of men. The light shines in the what? The darkness, 
but the darkness has not understood it. And then in verse 9, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. And then if I just carry on in the Gospel of John in chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of men. Now this idea of light is taken from the Old Testament. So when you and I open the Bible and we flick in the New Testament and we read something, we think, okay, well, that's, that's kind of an interesting way that Jesus puts it. But very often, he's taking things from the Old Testament, which is the only Bible that he had, by the way. And then he's applying them, oftentimes, to himself. Remember those texts where he says, all Scripture testifies of who? The challenge of who? Not me, not you, of who? Jesus, that's who the Bible. If you forget that, you will misinterpret the Bible. If you remember that, maybe you'll stay on track. So he says, all Scripture testifies of me. You search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. So you go back to a book like Isaiah chapter 9. This might be the place that Jesus got this light imagery from. Now, there's many places in the Old Testament, so it certainly doesn't have to be this one. But this is a text that seems to fit in very well. It's talking about uh, something happening in the land of Galilee by the way of the sea along the Jordan, uh, chapter 9, verse 2. The people are walking in what? Darkness. But they have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So life in this world, outside of the light of God, is spoken of as darkness. But a light, like coming into that cellar that I was just talking about, a light comes in, which is Jesus. It's a light from heaven coming into this dark, dark world. Now, the world may not comprehend what's happening. Certainly, if you read the birth of Jesus, very few seem to understand what was going on. But eventually, as he became a man and he, and he taught what he taught, a few people seemed to, to comprehend a little bit of what he was talking about. And then, of course, at Pentecost, when the Spirit fell in a powerful way, tremendous understanding came to people. And and for Jesus to say to you and I that we are light is a tremendous compliment. Right? It's a tremendous compliment because that's how the Scripture speaks of Him. And as He is, so we should be. My light, whatever light I have, whether it flickers brightly or not, is a reflection of the light from Him. So Christians, not, not Christians, this isn't put in a way that Christians shall be light. Christians are light. It speaks of the unity. Those of you that like me, that like parts of Paul's writings, uh, this is a huge, huge theme. Maybe the most important theme. This unity between God and us. 
we are in Christ, Christ is in us. If Christ is light, it is inevitable that we will be light, right? Everything he is, you are, even if it's unfulfilled potential in you, you are, and of course it is God's desire, you shall become in this world and obviously in the world to come. Now when we talk about the world to come, which Adventists talk a lot about the second coming of Jesus, we're also using light metaphors there, are we not? We will enter into his glory. So that's a huge light uh, metaphor as well. Now it says that these Christians who are light cannot what? What can these light Christians not do? Verse 14. They cannot be hidden. Hmm. That's interesting because I think probably everybody in this room thinks that sometimes they've hidden their light. But here the text says, no, Christians are not to be hidden. They are likened to a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Now, I don't know about these magicians. You get some magicians, David Copperfield, who are pretty clever people. Don't you think so? They can make cities disappear. Well, I don't know how they do it, but they're supposed to be able to do that. But the Scripture says, no, a city that's set on a hill, it's up there. Everybody sees it. I remember when I first became a Christian, and I know I've told this story in, in different ways, and I will be telling it in new and creative ways until I die. But one of the things that stands out like a sore thumb is one day I was one of the boys, and the next day I no longer was. I hadn't been to any church. I hadn't talked with any Christian. But God had reached down and changed me from darkness into light. What does that mean? How does that work itself out? Well, people look at you and they listen to you and they figure out something's changed here. Now, they don't really have any frame of reference if they don't have a Christian background, and I don't believe I worked with any Christians where I was at that time, but they know Terry's not laughing at our dirty jokes anymore. I don't hear any swearing come forth from his mouth. What's happened to this guy? Has he got religion? That's often what they say. No, no. The last thing I needed was religion. Religion would be like, like stabbing a wounded man. What I needed was God. The living God. I needed to be taken from darkness into light, not just be brought into truth, but to become truth and light. You see the difference? We're not talking here about people thinking they're light. 
or knowing the properties of light, what is it, waves or beams or what is it, this light stuff, but actually being light. That's what we're talking about. And so, yes, I didn't swear anymore, and I wasn't interested in a lot of the garbage that they were interested in, and I knew for sure that I was a changed person. And it was just a matter of time before God would lead me to His church, and then lead me to baptism. Any of you needing to get baptized here? Well, baptism is just part of our commitment. It's an important part of our commitment to God. He's reached down with us, He's saved us, and now He wants to seal that in baptism. So if any of you are being told by God to surrender your heart to Him, or being told by God to follow Him, then baptism is part of following God. Later we will study that they may see your good works. Baptism is part of our good works. One of the very first parts of our good works. And when I've seen Christians that have wriggled and come up with all sorts of excuses why they shouldn't be baptized, well, that's pretty hard to wriggle out of that because of its emphasis in Scripture. Can a person be saved without being baptized in water? Well, we have the thief on the cross. We don't have that many examples in Scripture, do we? So it's obviously that if Jesus has shown us the way in baptism as a good work, as pleasing to God, then that's obviously something that we should do. So we become light because God changes us. And this light cannot be hidden. It's set on a hill. Christians should stand out from the crowd. One of the first things you have to do as a Christian is to separate from the crowd. You can no longer be just one of the boys. That's not God's intention for you. Now that's not the same as uh, disavowing all of your friends. There were friends that I had to let go, for sure. They would have dragged me down instead of lifting me up. But it just means that God has changed you. Something different has happened in your life and you are likened to a a light, a city on a hill, a, a lamp that cannot be put under a bowl, as Luke puts it. In those days they had, let's say my hand is like a saucer. And in this, in this saucer, in this container, this, this lamp is oil. That's what, that's what they would have in the first century. And then they would have like a wick in the oil that they, that they would light. And that's the equivalent of what we would call a candle today, something close to a, to a candle. Those were the light sources. Do you remember in, uh, in Luke 15 when they lose the lost coin? Remember that parable there? That's three parables there, uh, finishing with the prodigal son. The coin is lost, so a light is needed, a lamp is needed. These were very, very common objects. You can go to the Middle East today, you can dig in the dirt, and you can find one of these oil lamps that we use. They're they're pretty much worthless because there's so many of them that, that have been discovered. Of course, if you dug in the dirt and found one, you'd be all you'd be shining for Jesus if you found one of those lamps. But uh, a value, they, they don't have, have the value. But that's what they would need. Now, do you need the Holy Spirit in your life? 
If you need the Holy Spirit, you and I wouldn't even get to first base without the Holy Spirit. The God in His Spirit searches the earth, goes through the globe, all these billions of people that are living on planet earth, and He's preparing people to become light for His kingdom. One light here, one light there, a few lights here and a few lights there, and you gather those lights together, and you get a pretty bright light after a period of time. I was reading um, a little illustration of that. In a small village in the southern part of Europe, there stands an old gray stone church on the top of a hill. It is called a church of many lamps. Legend has it that this church was constructed during the 16th century by a prominent duke. He was a man of deep conviction, and, he grew, and as he grew older, he felt that he wanted to do something that men would remember him by through the years. And as he thought about this, he decided that he would build a church in this little village. This church would be so beautiful that as men looked upon it, they would want to enter it and worship God. Carefully, he drew up the plans and watched with anticipation as the building progressed. In time, the church was completed. The duke had several daughters, and one day he took one of them to see the church. She marveled over the beautiful stone carvings and the glorious stained glass windows. But Father, she said, you overlooked something very, very important. Where are the lamps going to hang? There will be no hanging lamps, he replied. There is a small bronze lamp for every person in the village. Each one will carry his own lamp. And if he does not come to church, his place will be dark. Can you see how God's kingdom extends? A little light here and there's a little light there. But soon in the wisdom and mercy of God, there will be millions, no doubt billions of lights. God's kingdom will give light for those who are in darkness. Apparently, these wicks in the lamps need to be trimmed. Some of you may have done that many, many years ago. Did anybody live before there was electricity in homes? I don't know how old sometimes we are. Sometimes I'm surprised. But how do we do it? Practice the Beatitudes. Just like you are to read the, the love letter, 1 Corinthians 13 every day, read the Beatitudes. Remind yourself what you're supposed to to be, and you will produce light. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. What shall happen to them? They shall be filled. So Christians are light in the world. Christians cannot be hidden. Christians are to shine. Back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 15 and 16. Neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, there's a real 
there's a lot of confusion in people's minds on the relationship between faith and works. And it's interesting in this passage here that Jesus emphasizes not just works, but good works. Works, good works, are works that work. Good works are works that are effective. Good works are works that bring glory to God. Good works are works that you do as light, but God gets the glory. Do you understand that? The difference between that? Good works are not, so you and I can talk about good works, which will tend to put the glory upon us, but good works are what light has to do because Jesus did it, because God's Holy Spirit is living within us, because it is the most natural thing for a Christian to do. Sometimes I look at uh, Gloria's here this morning, so let me pick on her. Sometimes I look at those Dorcas people. I was going to say the Dorcas ladies, but they're not all ladies. A few guys in there. And some of them, are, their faces are shining. They're beaming. Now, maybe it depends on which Dorcas day it is. Because I'm sure there are some Dorcas days when, when the last thing you feel like doing is shining and beaming for Jesus. But very often when I walk in there, whether it be Gloria or others, I find them shining for Jesus. Because they're doing something that, that they feel passionate about. They feel strongly about. They're doing something to help somebody else. In many of our eyes, it might be very, very small what they're doing, but that doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter whether it be big or small, and it really doesn't matter whether your light's shining brightly or, or kind of dimly. The point is it's shining, and the point is that good works are being done, and someone is being helped. And I doubt if you can ever be a happy Christian, ever be a fulfilled, contented Christian, unless you're investing your life in advancing God's kingdom, and in helping humanity. They go together. There's no separation there. So real faith is faith that does something. The first thing that faith does, it trusts. Is this light source, Jesus, worth following, worth committing my life to? All of us have to make that decision at some point in our life. And if we do respond to that and do and respond to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ and his light then we become light and part of our shedding light are the good works that we do so good works are only bad works can good works become bad works yes they can if the focus is upon us i mean let's face it folks there's a lot of people in this world that do a lot of really, really good things for humanity. I hear that Bill's giving his money away, Diana. Do you know that Bill Gates? Gives a lot of his money away. Multi-millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, hundreds of millions of dollars may not be a big deal when you're a billionaire. But it's still a lot of money. It's still a lot of lives being changed. But is it being done for the glory of God? So we're not just talking about good works, in quotes. We're talking about works that are done for the glory of God. If I'm, if I'm a little widow lady bringing my 
my uh, last coin to the temple, Jesus made a big deal about that. Why? Because it was a lot of money? No. Because her whole life was poured into that offering. That was a good work that brought glory, according to Jesus, to God. Ellen White has a statement where she says, in effect, crowd all the good works you can into this life. Hey, life is short, folks. Do everything you can to help other people to advance God's kingdom. I really like the idea uh, of shining here where it talks of us shining. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Praise your Father in heaven. So yes, Christians are to shine and the purpose being to bring praise. See, we would say the purpose is to help people. But then God gets left out. All goodness, all light, all energy starts with God and comes back or should come back to God. Right? That's the law of the universe. So think of this huge universe being, let's, let's say for argument's sake, the universe is, what shape is the universe? Someone help me. Is it a ball? Is it a, like a rugby ball? Football? A pear? Banana? Are there multi-universes? That's the latest that they're talking about now. Well, think of whatever shape it is as, as a big, huge object of energy. And they have just had a huge, massive light source where they think that a black hole swallowed a galaxy. You ever swallowed a galaxy? It can kind of get stuck in your throat. And it, and it emits this massive amount of energy that's just mind-blowing how bright it is. And yet above all of that is God as the light and the energy, and the life, as we read last week, the life source of this universe. And you and I have the opportunity of tapping into that. Not spasmodically, not maybe one day and not the next day, but every day. They were saying on, on the internet, maybe you heard it in the news, that there's a light bulb in, I think it's in the Bay Area, maybe Tracy, if I, my memory serves me right. Anyone remember? 110 years it's been burning. 110 years. This thing just keeps burning. There are some lights that are pretty hard to put out. A little girl got home from Sunday school where she'd been taught the verse, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Haven't we just read that? She asked her mother when she repeated the verse what it meant. Her mom said, well, it means that when you are good and kind and thoughtful and obedient, you are letting Christ's light shine in your life before all who know you. The very next Sunday in Sunday school, the little girl got in a little bit of a fracas with another student and created somewhat of an uproar to such an extent 
that the Sunday school teacher had to go and find her mother to get her settled down a bit in the class. Her mother was concerned when she got to the classroom and said, Sweetie, don't you remember about letting your light shine for the Lord before men? The little girl blurted out, Mom, I must have blowed myself out. That's a child speaking. This idea of praising our Father in heaven is the very bottom line of Christianity. Everything that God does for us, everything, is meant to evoke praise. And I know some of you here this morning are hurting physically. Some of you are hurting emotionally, mentally. There's all sorts of challenges going on in your life. How do you rise above it? I mean, practically, how do you do that? And one of the secrets that is, is clear in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is via the way of praise. Learning, and if you can learn this as a young Christian, you're getting something invaluable. Learning to praise God despite despite your circumstances. Now, maybe it's easy to praise God when the goings get tough, get, get easy rather, when the going's easy, when, when the stock market is up, when you get an inheritance, when you think you've got cancer but you actually don't have cancer. But when the going gets really tough, it seems to me that the people of faith get going if their light is shining. And no matter how they feel, this is not to do with feelings, if you live your Christian life on the basis of feelings, you will be a miserable failure. The devil will run rings around you. So we don't live on the basis solely of feelings, even though feelings are important. We live on the basis of faith. And faith says, He created me, He deserves praise. Yeah, but you're such an ugly thing. You didn't come out quite right. The mold got broken. Well, He still created me Thank Him, praise Him anyway. And the amazing thing is if you learn to do that, especially as a young Christian, as a habit that you will do through the rest of your life, your feelings start to change because you're moving into another realm. The world of darkness is the world of complaining. The world of light is the world of praise. So let's learn the lesson as soon as we can, as early as we can, that despite our circumstances, whether good or bad, Paul says, whether, whether I, I'm, I'm doing really well or whether, hey, my head's on the block and Nero's going to cut it off, still I'm going to praise him. It's like Job, the st whole story of Job. You can s sum it up in that statement. Though he slay me, if he allows me to die of this horrible, horrible disease, I will still praise Him. What is that? I mean, the world will say that that's madness. 
But the Bible says that's the world of faith. That's the world of praise. That's the world of Christianity. That's what you and I, that's the world of the Beatitudes, the world of the Sermon on the Mount. That's the world of Jesus. Self-hiddening God. So the only thing that can happen when self is hid is that the light will come through. Some years ago, on returning from a business trip, this man tells a story that a man brought his wife some souvenirs. Among them was a matchbox that would glow in the dark. After giving it to her, he turned out the light, but they never saw anything. The object wasn't visible. Well, this must be a joke, he said. Disappointed, the husband felt he'd been cheated. And then his wife noticed some French words on the box. Taking it to a friend who knew the language, she was told that the directions read, if you want me to shine at night, keep me in the sunlight all day. So she put her gift in a south window, in the south window, and that evening when she turned out the light, the matchbox had a brilliant glow. The surprised husband asked, well, what did you do? Oh, she said, I found the secret. Before it can shine in the dark, it must be exposed to the light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will never be in darkness. Spend that thoughtful hour each day contemplating the life of Christ especially the events around the cross, and you and I will be transformed into bright lights for God's honor and for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus came into this world of darkness to bring light, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles too. And I thank you, Lord, that there have been many that have responded to him, and many Millions more will respond. But Lord, may each one of us be good light sources for you. We know, Lord, if we focus on self, it's not a pretty picture. But if we, like the flower, turn our face to the sun, then we will be energized. Then we will burn brightly for you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Receive all the praise and the glory from your people. Amen.